0: You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today I want to talk about a text message I got. I want to hit a little bit more on Mike Smith because I found an interesting article there. And um, there's also some buzz about his D-Ford coming here, so we'll touch on that briefly. Then I want to turn to the Senior Bowl slash um, Packers draft stuff. Because there are, um, at least on Walter Football, one thing that he does over there is tracks the meetings that the Packers have had. There was one meeting, which I put on Twitter, um, at the Senior Bowl, but there's a list of, I don't know, probably 10-ish different guys that uh, the Packers met with officially at the East-West Shrine game. So talk about those guys. What's the latest on those guys? What could we glean as far as information from these people? And as always, we'll hope that that's enough content to get us through the day. If not, I have been practicing my singing. It's not good, but it'll get us where we need to be. So, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. We've got a couple other links. If you'd like to go that route for as little as a buck a month, you can help support what it is I do here. I've been talking with another company, and um, I've got some decisions to make. And I always hate when this comes up, because I feel like what I want to do, and what the right thing to do is, and the most beneficial thing to do, they don't really line up very well. So um, I'm supposed to be getting some more information tomorrow, and I'm pretty sure I know what I'm going to do, which is not change anything. But um, yeah, anyways, if you're curious what the donations are for, at this point, my expenses are covered. Essentially, you're just supporting me financially for what I do. And the biggest reason that you're doing that, from my perspective, is the fact that turning to, and I won't name names anymore, because I was already talked to about that, just in case things do happen. I won't mention specific advertisers, but um, certain ridiculous things that come up, um, well, let's just say it's much more beneficial to just do whatever they want. And I really, really enjoy what I'm doing. I like the authenticity of it. I like the freedom of it, which is a big part of the reason that I liked uh, being with Packernet because there's basically absolute autonomy. Whatever I want to do is fine with them. I don't ever want this to become a job. I always want to be able to do whatever I want to do. If I decide I'm not doing a podcast tomorrow, I'm just going to decide that. If I want to do it daily, I'm going to do it daily. If I want it to be 20 minutes, 30, 40, two hours, 7 days, I can do whatever I want to do. I can make fun of people. I can say whatever words I want. I can make fun of whatever companies I want, players I want, coaches I want. I can be nice to people, mean to people, offensive, not offensive, polite, impolite. I can do anything I want. I can come on here tomorrow and talk about dresses if I feel like it. I don't feel like it, but I can because I can do whatever I want. And if this podcast goes upside down, I don't have to care. Do you get what I'm saying? Am I just talking to myself right now? I'm saying I think we all have a really good thing here and I'd like to keep it going. That's all I'm saying. So think it over. And and by the way, a disproportionate amount of people are giving and have given. So I'm not saying I'm not getting supported. I'm blown away by the amount of support. I'm just telling you there's there's this constant cost-benefit analysis going on in my brain. Anyways, Packernet.com for all your news, notes, and information regarding the Green Bay Packers. NFLBigBoard.com for the most, eh, I don't know, what is it the most of? it's just the bestest man it's just the bestest it's a great resource um, I won't talk it up too much because all you need to do is go there and I think it'll speak for itself how about that otherwise be sure to jump in the Facebook group it's a grand old time lastly if you have a question a comment a concern well not concern not really worried about your concerns tell tell your spouse tell your kids tell your friends i, I you know I don't have time for that man call a lawyer I you know that's not what I'm it's not what I'm here for I'm here for you, but only in certain capacities. I don't want to know about a rash. I am just saying, Packer stuff, all right? 608-501-0718. Text or call, 608-501-0718. So we'll start with the text message, which I will have to assume that this came from Kyle, because uh, shortly after I read the text message, I saw um, he had posted some pictures in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group of Mr. Kyle and his family with uh, Jordy Nelson. So that's that detective work, man. I'm, I'm super good at what I do. I put two and two together and figured that one out. But anyways, here's what Mr. Uh, Kyle had to say. After meeting Jordy Nelson last night with my son, who he named him after, so his son Jordy, Jordy Nelson said, Don't give up on Jimmy Graham, and EQ will be a star. Can't agree more. Jimmy Graham, with a coach that can utilize tight ends in a deadly weapon is a deadly weapon. Don't let last year fool you. So a lot of things I like about this. First of all, I agree. I've already called EQ our wide receiver too. I think he's a good football player. I think he was somewhat underutilized. Um, probably the most impressive in spots. I mean, Marquez is awesome because he flashes, but I think it's just kind of between the flashes is when things kind of break down. Equinemius, I think, is extremely talented. Um, it's just a matter of getting him in space, which is what LeFleur should probably be able to do um i i just I, I really like that was why i said he belongs in the slot man his his ability to to work the middle of the field and then you get Mar or uh marquez nope that's not the coach lafleur to scheme him open i mean it could be real dangerous and i mean he's a, he's a big target he's a fast guy he's a good route runner it's going to be pretty impressive um i've also mentioned jimmy graham um just just to put things a little bit in context and yeah 2017 with Seattle was his worst year prior to this year, so we could call this a steep decline. That's if we so choose. However, something else to consider, 2016 was his second best year ever recorded by Pro Football Focus. It was his second best year as a receiver, his number one best year as a pass blocker, and his number one best year as a run blocker. 2018 was by far his worst year ever. The only year of his entire career, he was graded below average, and he was below average as a receiver, below average as a pass blocker, below average as a run blocker. It was his worst year ever as a run blocker, his second worst year ever as a pass blocker, and by far his worst year as a receiver. There's no question Jimmy Graham's getting older. That's not even a question, but, you know, and and, and there were certain issues, you know, I think he kind of got into his own head. We saw the stone hands and just crazy drops and all kinds of stuff. But especially toward the second half of the season, if we break it down by week, after week nine in New England, he was done. He, he did not have, he had one game that was above average starting in week 10, and that was against Arizona. And it was barely above average. Every other game was below average to bad. Point is, I don't know if we can expect 2011 New Orleans Jimmy Graham to ever resurface. But we don't need that. We just need Jimmy Graham to be Jimmy Graham. And again, in 2016, the Seattle Seahawks figured out how to make Jimmy Graham a serviceable person because they didn't count on him to be 2011 New Orleans Saints Jimmy Graham. They said, okay, you can't quite do what you did athletically, but you're still a gigantic freak. You still are a great uh, you know, athlete in terms of understanding how to control your body and, and use your length to just be open even when you're not open. So I absolutely agree with better coaching, not just from our tight ends coach, who absolutely needs to be a better coach and should be a better coach, because that was horrible, but from our head coach, who likes to utilize tight ends, understands how to utilize tight ends. I mean, you know, again, I, I probably shouldn't keep railing on this, but as I've said a billion times, Mike McCarthy stressed how important tight end. and I think he knew it because Lafleur said the same thing. He said, "I'll take as many tight ends as you can give me." He said that in that last interview I talked about yesterday. He said that you know their their ability to be matchup nightmares and the things that you can do and it, it's almost like he was saying you can never have enough because the more you have and can utilize, the more difficult it is for teams to figure out how to how to match up. I think Mike McCarthy and Lafleur and probably every coach in the NFL knows that, but how many people know what to do about it? I don't think Mike McCarthy did. And that was evidenced by last year. We got, I mean, we picked up a guy that was a a blocker and we never used him as a blocker. We had Jimmy Graham, who was our least talented blocker and our most talented receiver, and we used him as a blocker. I mean, nothing, just nothing made any sense. So yes, I definitely would expect that to get better. The other really awesome thing, and we should expect nothing less from a guy like Jordy Nelson, but the fact of the matter is when Jimmy Graham got signed, that was sort of the nail in the coffin for Jordy Nelson, in other words, a different kind of player than Jordy Nelson probably wouldn't have that same kind of attitude toward Jimmy Graham. Now, it, it's not saying definitively if we didn't get Jimmy Graham that Jordy would have stayed, and you know, probably would have only been another year anyways. But you could understand how a guy who, a, how a wide receiver especially who tend to be divas and whatnot, could look at Jimmy Graham in a negative light and could have an attitude and say, "Aha! See, look." You got rid of me. Look how good I was with Aaron Rodgers, and you think you're going to bring in Jimmy Graham and he's going to be better than me? He was a bum. No, man, he's meeting people, and he's like, don't give up on Jimmy Graham. He's going to be awesome. I don't I, just, I miss that guy, man. What a good person. And you know that that's that's the high character thing. Act like it doesn't matter, but it absolutely matters. Not only f- as as a fan wanting people like that to represent the Green Bay Packers. But you know guys like that were, were, I mean, look at Aaron Rodgers like tearing up when, when Jordy Nelson was playing in the playoffs with broken ribs. I mean, the guy started crying talking about how much that meant. Football's, football's more than just, you know, 40 times, man. There, there is an interpersonal element to it. And very positive relationships can yield very positive results and vice versa. So as much as I always hated the whole character thing, and it, I only liked it in the extremes, like, okay, this guy, you know, I don't know, you know, dumps water on homeless people in winter, I, you know, I, whatever. Yeah, sure, don't want that guy. But outside of that, I didn't care. Just as long as you can play football, what do I care? Yeah, you get penalties once in a while, fine, great, whatever, I don't care. Get ejected one game, and then the other, you know, 15 games, you're a stud. But, you know, again, as I've said a thousand times this past year, the one thing that's really I've really started to understand is the importance of the locker room and the relationships in that locker room between the players, between the players and coaches, between the players and the front office, between the front office and the coaches, between you know whatever. There needs to be a positive relationship and a positive energy throughout that whole building and that whole organization, to some degree at least. It's never going to be perfect, but there's got to be some of that in there. So anyways, very, very awesome. And, and you know, the other guy, Equinemius, is, is not a direct replacement. But again, he's kind of standing in his spot. Equinemius, as the number two, was technically where Jordy would be. So you, you the, the two guys he praises are the two guys that, if anybody, he could be bitter about. Yeah, you thought you could replace me in the draft? Look what happened. He's no good. Thought you could replace me with a tight end like Jimmy Graham? You can't. Anyways, you get the point. High character guy. Very, very cool Kyle, thanks for uh for shooting that information over and congrats on meeting Geordie. Should uh let me know what happened, man. Where'd you meet him? How'd that come to be? Inquiring minds want to know where they can find mister Jordy Nelson. Oh, I see. Don't tell him but I'm Facebook stalking him. He lives in Kansas, so there you go. You're creepy. Leave me alone. It's called research, alright? You don't know my truth. <laughs> I'm a, I'm gonna need another wood carving. I need that on there you don't know my truth. What a horrible saying that is. I mean, it's awesome when you say it ironically, but jeez, that is the most cringeworthy statement that has ever been said. Anyways, let's talk about Mike Smith all over again. So I had mentioned there was an article uh, written by an ex-Jets player, kind of further down the depth chart, kind of praising Mike Smith. And I thought, you know what? I should have done. And I did this, like, as this podcast was uploading yesterday, I was like, man, I should have checked to see if the Chiefs and the Chiefs players had anything to say about him. Sure enough, here's an article, November twelfth, 2018, by Pete Sweeney, Arrowhead Pride, which I think is the SB Nation thing. Yes, it is. There's a big write-up about... Not just D4, but you got Justin Houston as well, who I didn't really mention yesterday because he's been good for a long time, but another really good outside linebacker there and just kind of laying out everything they had to say and how much they really appreciated him and all the stuff he did, and I was really upset, but whatever, we're doing it today. So I obviously don't want to read this word for word, but um, there's going to be quite a bit of reading, so brace yourself for story time. Get yourself a blankie, a little hot cocoa, start up a fire. Only if you have a fireplace, though. I, I would not encourage any other kind of fire. I'm just picturing, like, piles of wood and toys in the middle of the living room. You said start a fire! Then I have a lawsuit on my hands, so you got to spell these things out these days. Don't light your furniture on fire. All right, let's go. So the first paragraph that's somewhat relevant here is it starts off with the Kansas City Chiefs playing the Arizona Cardinals. Justin Houston had just returned... Uh, after a hamstring injury, and according to NFL's next-gen stats, D. Ford and Justin Houston, the two outside linebackers, combined for 15 pressures on the day, which was 54.5% of Josh Roden's, Rosen's drop back. So over half of the time he took the football and dropped back, he was pressured. Josh Rosen threw 22 uh, completions on 39 attempts, 208 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Justin Houston had one of those picks. Andy Reed, who is uh, you know, a very thoughtful speaker, says they set a record or whatever they did by hitting the quarterbacks as many times as they did. So that wasn't a bad start. Apparently he attends the Bill Belichick uh school for press conferences. He goes on to say, I would tell you that they're playing good. Defense right now are stretched in the NFL. Uh you've seen it every week, so to be able to get the pressure that we did on the quarterback was a huge part of it. Stepping up with big plays when needed, I thought was a big was big again. Do we have plenty of room to grow? Absolutely. Both sides of the ball, special teams can be better here, so we're just going to keep working on that. But I thought our guys are getting after it. So that was the reaction to we just broke a record and pressured the quarterback with two guys all day. So that's cool. So, anyways, here is what Ford had to say when he was asked about his brand new head coach. Because essentially what had happened is uh, they had split two coaches. So they're, they had a linebacker's coach. Gary Gibbs, and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get rid of Gibbs, and we're going to split linebacker into inside and outside. Mark DeLeon went to inside. Mike Smith went to outside. But uh, despite the initial dislike of that move, here's what Ford said after the fact. It helped tremendously. Mike is great. He's a student of the game. Everything is repetitive. Every day we do the same thing, and we're getting better at small things. It's crazy. We've played for so many years, and Justin Houston and I talk about it all the times, our steps being awful at times. He goes on to say, we are just so athletic and strong, we can get away with it. But now having that coach, Mike, is phenomenal. Sometimes when you quote people who speak, it doesn't sound like that's the sentence, and I read it wrong, but I didn't. That's just how some people speak, I guess. But the point is, what he's saying is, he's really impressed by the fact that, essentially, whatever success they had in the past was just raw athleticism just overpowering people and this coach came in and and really honed in on it and they're looking at it going dude we are terrible at this (laughs) like we we are really not doing a good job on a micro level which is exactly what the packers need now he's talking about their steps what they're doing with their feet and he's they're being shown this stuff and they're looking at it going at times we are just awful but we get away with it um Tano Passigno is a guy that they drafted. I'm pretty sure that's how you say his name if I remember from last year. Real, real big guy, later round guy, I think. Actually, maybe third round. I think he went a little earlier than I expected. But anyways, here's what he had to say. That's what we went back to this OTAs. Kind of doing basic things. Our steps. Little things that older guys can kind of forget sometimes that they put in their in the back of their head because they've been playing so long. Mike just brought that back, and I feel like that's helped us a lot. So the first thing that comes to mind here is Nick Perry. Looking at a guy like Nick Perry, who's had a lot of success, as a ten sac- he has 10 sacks in him, but just for whatever reason, he's just out there freelancing. You get a guy like Mike Smith that's going to really break down every single step. His footwork, his hands, everything is going to be just down to the minute detail. But that's also good for, for new guys, which is exactly what we're going to have. We're going to have old guys, and we're going to have very young guys. But to just micromanage to that level, I think, is just, it's going to help everybody. But here's here's another paragraph that I thought was extremely exciting, and it, I mean, it, this is how weird I am. It gives me chills just to think about. Here's what it says. Smith works diligently each week to provide the outside linebackers with guides on how to beat every offensive lineman along the line. He made headlines here at Arrowhead Pride in late May when he decided it would be best to move Houston and Ford around the front based on offensive line matchups. What's more is how willing the players were to buy in. Here's what the now-fired defensive coordinator had to say about Mike Smith. Mike Smith does a really good job uh, with Ford and all those guys, giving them the information, the background, and clips to match these things, saying this is what we are anticipating. This is what we think this guy is like. I compare it to pitchers and hitters. They have to know each other to really take advantage of it. You can just get up there and swing or reel back and throw your fastball without knowing anything about them. Sometimes that's good enough. Usually when you get people... Uh, of equal ability you have to know something else here's what another rookie breeland Speaks said on that exact issue it definitely helps you know what you're looking for on the field if you don't know your opponent you can't really know how to beat them so that helps in every way especially in pass rush situations like if a guy has low hands i know what moves to use against him high hands or whatever it's just whatever we already scouted he's not going to change it up he's been doing it his whole life so we pretty much know what to expect It's such a simple thing, but I guarantee you with a thousand percent certainty the Packers were not doing that. In other words, he made it his job to do a full scouting breakdown on every single offensive lineman, provide that to his outside linebackers with a thorough breakdown on how to beat each and every individual offensive lineman based on their tendencies. This is what they do. This is what they do in this situation. This is when he, you know, how do you set these kinds of guys up? You know, and then, then you know, he's the kind of guy, too, that when you go to the sideline, he's the one that's going to be watching, just like in a boxing match. Like, every time you do this, he drops his hands. you got to come in. This is the kind of just diligent, like, just grinding down to minute details. Every single player, everything we know about them, how do we beat them? And this, by the way, is how you get production from guys like Justin Houston, who's been a stud for a long time, and guys like D. Ford, who have been kind of busts for a long time. Because it's, it's basically saying, listen, especially a guy like D four, he's a first-round draft pick. He has the athleticism, but it's just he, he doesn't know what to do with it. So not only is he working him on, on certain things like footwork and hand placement and, and the basics that he should know, but then he's coming in with the macro stuff and saying, listen, these are the moves you need to use against this guy. And if I move you over here, and that's the, that's the other thing, too, when they talked about how they switched him around. Well, the, he understands also his guy's strengths and weaknesses. So if the the right tackle really struggles with a speed rush and the left tackle really struggles with a bull rush, then maybe you want to put your power guy over on the left tackle and your speed guy on the right tackle. And, ju- you know, you, you, it's not like you just do the same thing over and over again, but in general, that's the better matchup. Now, that's that's a very simplistic example. It could be a lot of more minute things, you know, speed, twitch, inside, outside, whatever, but you get what I'm getting at. And again, I don't know to what extent... Winston Moss went with these outside linebackers. But again, he had a lot of, uh, of, of, of additional responsibilities, which is why I wanted an outside linebackers coach who just did outside linebackers, because he has plenty of time to go to all his defensive meetings, go to all his coaching meetings, go to all these different meetings. But then when it's his time to go do his work, he does nothing but grind tape on offensive linemen, offensive guards and tackles and centers understand the offense's tendencies you know in these situations this this team typically is going to do this and then this when they do that this player is doing this so this is what you want to do on this down and distance against this player to that level of of understanding and again that's how you get guys like Perry to start getting up to 10 sacks again but that's also how you get rookies whether it be Josh Allen, Ja'Kai Polite, whoever to really flash in the NFL or you get a guy like D. Ford, who's never been that good, but has all the athletic tools you could possibly imagine, to suddenly have a good game because he focuses in on the micro, and then on the when it's game day, he focuses in on the macro. All week long, we've been working on footwork and handwork and all the basics, so that when it comes down to this, is exactly what you have to do to beat him. You've you've got the simple stuff down. You know the technique. It's just a matter of execution, which you're going to be better at because you've been drilling it all week, and now you don't have to overthink it because your coach told you how to beat him. Further down the article, Breland Speaks had this to say, he's helped in every aspect from teaching pass rush to showing me how to watch film to showing me what to look for on and off the field. It's just been all a big help to me. Here's what Passanio had to say. He's a real personable person, so it's almost like we're playing for him. What did I just say yesterday about this guy? Didn't I say, word for word, this is the kind of guy that players want to play for. You want to do well for him. Didn't I just say that yesterday? What, is the, what, what did Passanio just say here? He's a real personable person, so it's almost like we're playing for him. We don't want to disappoint him. Things kind of like that, but also the way he coaches. We understand him. He played the game. He played with Ray Lewis, Passigno added, with a bunch of great players, so he knows both sides, and he recently has done both, because he is a young guy. It wasn't that long ago he was a football player. End of article, more or less. So, you know, maybe you could do a deep dive on on the other guys that we've got and get similar stuff, but there's nobody I'm more excited about than this. If, If for no other reason then it seems to be a fantastic fit, he seems to be a great person, a great coach and it is at a premium position in which we have neglected we don't have enough talent and i think that we have the ability here to go from being one of the lesser units in the nfl to one of the better because we do have a blend of guys with that potential we have kyler fackrell who has some abilities if for no- nothing else than it being a top end pass rusher if he can come in next year and, and just do six or seven that's incredible On top of that, if we get Perry back, if he can stay healthy and and be able to learn from a guy like Mike Smith, get back to the basics, get the footwork right, get your hands right. I mean, the fact that you play better with a club than with not a club is kind of telling that maybe there's some issues here. And then we go out and we we get a guy. Maybe we get D Ford, which we're going to talk about in a second. Maybe we, you know, get somebody else in free agency, young guys, uh, you know, guys that maybe haven't quite lived up to their full potential we talked about a couple of those yesterday one in particular that he coached in college that went to the Redskins that hasn't been quite as good maybe a guy like that that's cheap that can be revitalized I just think there is a lot of potential to make a really big jump and if that jumps the corners look better because the the quarterbacks are under more pressure it helps the interior which should improve quite a bit because we have help on the outside Everything gets better if that gets better, and I love that we're putting this much attention to it. If we can just go get some players with some ability, it could be a real big game changer. Now, specifically about the question of D. Ford. First of all, it does not seem likely that the Chiefs are going to let him walk. The word on the street right now, similar to Jadavian Clowney, is that if need be, they will sign him to a franchise tag. That actually does seem to make sense right on the surface, because if you look at Spot track and their market value, they have him valued at about sixteen point five million dollars, which right out of the gate i'm looking at that saying i just as a Packers fan i don't want him for sixteen point five million no chance in the world I, I granted he was great, and his outside linebacker coach is here, so if anything, you know whatever, but that's a lot of money, and you look at, for example, Nick Perry, we played that game before we played that game where we said, okay. You haven't been very good, but you really showed up this year. We're going to assume this is your breakout year. We're going to sign you to a very long contract, and it has not panned out. It has not worked in our favor. We could be doing that again, but with a much more expensive guy to where we have D. Ford and Nick Perry both locked up for a lot of money, and neither one of them is producing anything, and our salary cap is destroyed. It is way too risky to pay this man $16.5 million. Now, from the Chiefs' perspective, you could look at that and say, well, why would they want to pay him? Well, I'm sure they don't or at least they want him on the team because you can't let a guy like that go. He's 27 years old. He finally broke out. You can't just let him walk. Beyond that, Justin Houston is the only talented guy on that team. Tano Passigno is not very good. uh, Frank Zombo is not very good. You can't let your one good player just leave. You still have Justin Houston, but he's 30 years old and he's going into his second to last year of his contract. So it would make sense to hang on to him. So what do you do? Well, The franchise tag seems to be a relatively simple solution because it does a lot of things. Number one, it keeps him on your team. Number two, it keeps him on your team for a short term, which is to say one year. And then if he does it again, you can start talking about long-term contract extensions. And number three, the franchise tag for linebackers, which he technically is, even though it's ridiculous to put him in the linebacker category, but the linebacker franchise tag this year, if I'm not mistaken, is just under $15 million. So you get him at a discount. He's worth sixteen dollars million. We're going to pay him uh, you know million on a one-year deal. If he can do it again, we'll talk about it at that point. If he can't, then we got our answer and we can let him walk. It just makes too much sense in my mind. Now, maybe that won't happen. Maybe all the pundits are wrong. Maybe the Chiefs are going to let him walk. I would doubt it. But even if he does leave, I'm not paying him 16.5 million, man. No, he was good. Got it. Great. Love it. 16.5. Again, we've got about 40. If we don't get rid of Nick Perry, which we probably won't, if we don't get rid of Brian Balaga, which we probably won't, if we don't get rid of Jimmy Graham, which we probably won't, we got 40 and a half million. Take 10 million off the top for for uh, draft picks. We got 30 million. Then you look at re signing guys. Do you re sign Muhammad Wilkerson? What about Mercedes Lewis? What about Lance Kendricks? What about Bashad Breeland? What about Ibrahim Campbell? What about Jake Ryan? What about Geronimo Allison? What about Justin McRae? What about Lucas Patrick, Adam Pankey, Kentrell Bryce, Jay Kumarol, Robert Tanyan, Reggie Gilbert? Are you going to sign these guys? You sign D4 to $16 million. I know all Packer fans think, oh, we got so much money in free agency. We got almost nothing left. Take the 40, subtract 10, we got 30. Resign half of these guys. We got to be pushing ten, even if you call it five. We got 25 million left. You take 16 million and give it to D. Ford. What do we have? We got nothing. On what? On on a guy that had one good year out of five. No, no, I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. If you want to go all out on somebody, do it in the draft. Package some picks. Go up and get a guy. It's safer. It's cheaper much better option in my opinion don't don't know i just I, i'm not saying no to paying 16 million to a free agent maybe but i, I just don't think it's going to happen not doing it for d ford Jadavian is going to be um franchise tagged probably i don't know who else there is i don't know who else i want to give 15 16 17 million dollars to so anyways that's my answer for d ford no thank you now unless the number is completely wrong but if the number's wrong it's just more incentive for the Chiefs to just sign him right if his market value is 10 million dollars which it's not but let's pretend it is Chiefs are just going to pay him 10 million bucks to keep him there or 11 or whatever the Chiefs need a reason to let him go and I just don't think they have one and we certainly don't have a reason to spend that much money to bring him here again I think Packer fans need to remember we don't have that much cap space as much as everyone thinks we do we're sitting at 40 million right now. That's about right in the middle. Bengals have 50. Cowboys, Seahawks, they all got 50. The uh, Cardinals, the 49ers, the Texans, they got 60. The Raiders have 70. The Browns and the Bills have 80. The Jets have 90. The Colts have 117 million dollars in cap space. These are the guys we have to compete with. I mean, if, 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 if D. Ford's sitting out there, you, you think the Colts or the Jets or the Bills or somebody's going to have a problem throwing around $16 million? It doesn't even put a dent in their cap. Again, it's so easy to just say, why didn't we get him? Because we don't have the money, man. We don't have the money. And, you know, this will all change. Some of these guys with lesser cap are going to have more because they offload people. You know, the, the Eagles are dead last with negative 14, but they're going to dump a quarterback that's going to save them $20 million. Some of these guys are going to free up some space. Maybe the Packers do too. Maybe we do get rid of Jimmy Graham or Perry or whoever. But even if we do it bumps us up to about 50. That puts us ahead of the Broncos and the Titans and nobody else. We still got the Bengals, the Cowboys, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the 49ers, Texans, Raiders, Browns, Bills, Jets and Colts that have more cap space than us. So I just I, I'm I'm hammering that because I keep hearing all this cap space. We got all this cap. What are we going to do with all this all the all, all what? All what? We have all nothing. It's not that much. Now we could do a lot if we're dealing with like five, ten million, or not even so much ten. You know, you get into that seven, eight million. You know, if we want to do twelve million as our big spending, even like thirteen, fourteen for a guy like uh, Earl Thomas, if you want to spend that money, fine, but make sure he's the best in the NFL. You want to make that move? Go for it. Antonio Brown talked about that and how that's not going to happen but that's what i'm talking if you want to spend 15 million on an antonio brown fine because he's the best in the nfl d ford no he wasn't even top 10 last year and that was very likely a fluke i'm not giving you 16 man sorry i'm just not doing it go get a, a, a project or a prospect for five six seven million if you want to but that's just my opinion feel free to let me know your thoughts All right, so let's change our focus here quickly. I want to talk about the, let's see, three, six, seven-ish guys. Seven guys the Packers have met with so far, one at the Senior Bowl. That would mean six at the East-West Shrine game. So starting with the Senior Bowl, Mr. Penny Hart, wide receiver out of Georgia State. Again, I had posted this on Twitter, a little bit of a highlight reel. Uh, Apparently, he was really, really showing off. I did go and watch a little bit. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have him on NFLBigBoard.com. Because I have a standard where you have to be on at least three of my big boards. And I went back and looked at the master sheet. He's only on one right now. I'm guessing that's going to change. He kind of turned some heads at the senior bowl. You have to assume some people are going to be putting him on their boards sooner than later. So hopefully that'll change. But um, anyways, you can still check out some of his stuff. Basically, from what I can tell from watching him, he's going to be a slot receiver. He's very, very tiny. He's, He's, I mean, Penny's a good name for him. Unlike Penny from last year, who's actually a gigantic human being, I always think Rashad Penny is a small person. He's not. But type in Penny Hart into Google, and all you see is connections already with the Green Bay Packers. They met with him. Lafleur might like him. Blah blah blah. So as far as positives and negatives, he is only five foot eight. Not that that super matters, but it kind of does. He's definitely going to be the kind of person that I could I could see working with the Lafleur system, but he does have limitations. It was very frustrating watching him, just the film, not the highlights, because very often they tried to use him as somewhat of a deep threat. I don't see a ton of speed with him. We'll we'll see what happens. But in general, man coverage, he's just he, he has a real hard time uncovering, especially if guys get their hands on him. You can see the size limitations. He's got tons of heart. He tries as hard as to go up and get the football, but it just doesn't happen most of the time. However, you get this guy working in short areas especially you know picking apart zones and all those kinds of things you know work in the middle of the field and all that kind of stuff he he can be very elusive I mean, kind of like equanimous in a smaller way and probably a little bit more so but just sort of that you know real quick stick your foot in the ground and get in you know the, the slant route sort of the bread and butter of what Aaron Rodgers used to do all the time right Aaron Rodgers to Randall Cobb that little slant route that went for eight yards and it was completed 99% of the time and I never knew why they stopped running it ever That's where he could shine. But beyond that, if you watch his film, it's kind of cool because the stuff he's doing kind of reminded me of the Tennessee Titans. A lot of motion, you know, the, you know, jet sweeps, you know, these kinds of things. And most of the time he's not getting the ball, but, you know, they snap it and they kind of fake give it to him and then throw it. And then every once in a while they hit him, you know, you know, behind the line of scrimmage or run a wheel route or whatever the case may be. He's kind of used to that kind of a system. Lots of motion, lots of movement and, and trying to get the the defense off their, their footing or whatever. It just, as I'm watching it, all I could think of is exactly what I thought of when I watched the Tennessee Titans. He's used to doing that kind of stuff. He understands the concepts of it. I think as, as much as the Packers need a slot receiver, again, I think he's limited. There's always a lot of hype, especially among Packer fans. When you hear a guy and then you see a couple of highlights, it's like, he's a freak. We need to get him definitely has limitations, but in a limited role, he can be somewhat of a stud. That's just my overall interpretation of it. But I definitely encourage you to uh, go check out some of his film, just go to YouTube, type in Penny Hart verse, and uh, you'll see some of his his footage there. That was my, you know, again, they they used him, they tried to go deep far too often, he just got erased. You know, when they've got, granted, if it's 3rd and 15, what are you supposed to do? I suppose you could try to hit him on a crosser and see if he can get the extra yardage. But they they got the the corner playing off, and whenever he's running directly at the corner, it's like, well, he's done. Because once he gets there, he gets locked up, it's game over. But if he can get a little bit of a release and get inside, he can just annihilate people. Moving on to some of the East-West Shrine game, guys. uh, There was one other wide receiver that they met with, Mr. Cody Thompson, wide receiver out of Toledo. Anytime I hear Toledo wide receiver or running back, I just think like small and speedy. I don't know why. I think because Toledo sounds like torpedo, so it's just how my brain works. Oh, you mean he's fast? Is that what you mean when you say he went to Toledo? Now, Mr. Cody Thompson is on NFLBigBoard.com, currently ranked as 249th, so we're talking mm, undrafted territory. However, if you look at the plus-minus in the far column, he jumped up 90 spot, meaning he was 339 the last time I did an update. He's 249 this week. So he's, he's jumping up quite a bit. We've got a highlight reel. We've got some film, some news. The guy's, I mean, he's got some real good characteristics. First of all, 6'2", so he's, he's not the small speedy guy like you'd expect. Um, he, he's very, very athletic, 38-inch vert, uh, 22 reps on the bench at 225. Presumably, he's going to do really well at the combine, I guess is kind of the point. Uh, somewhat of a backhanded compliment from Mr. Tony Pauline. Um, he called him a sleeper for the draft. Now, what he means by that is, this is a guy who shouldn't be getting drafted, but he thinks he will get drafted. Uh, he wrote, Thompson offers nice size, six, uh, one and a half feet, 205 pounds, consistent hands, great football intellect. If there's no medical red flags, I believe he'll slide into the later rounds, become a productive fifth receiver at the next level. So there's that. So, watching a very little bit of his tape, he does not seem to be a very solid um, route runner. Don't really see a ton of speed with him either, despite the athletic freak thing i didn't hear much about his feet We'll we'll see what i do like though good hands good body control right seems to be an intelligent guy kind of works his way back to the ball all that kind of stuff but it just as i'm watching him i'm like come on come on go gets to be a little frustrating watching him play but then when the ball does come out he puts himself in the right position to make a play on the ball got some real nice deep uh deep ball stuff going on so i think I i would say that's fair i don't think this is going to be a guy that's going to come in and be our number two but as Tony Pauline said, he could be sort of a later round, kind of fill the bottom of your roster kind of thing, which probably isn't really what we want. It's not really what I want. I feel like we have a bunch of those guys between EQ, Marquez, Jay Mont. We got a lot of depth that is mediocre, but whatever. Uh, the next guy sticking with offense, Nick Brissett, running back out of LSU. I've mentioned that I would like the Packers to get more running backs. As far as where we get them, I'm not entirely sure. I'm, I'm really torn on the running back thing. On one hand, Aaron Jones is a stud, and I think Jamal is a decent number two. If anything, as I've said, I'd like to get somewhat of a receiving back. I feel like that would make a little bit more sense. On the other hand, I'm a little concerned because Jamal is definitely not a number one, and I'm a little worried about Aaron Jones' injury history and whether or not he is a legitimate... Like, is he going to be a 17-18 carry, 16-game guy? Is he ever going to be that guy? I don't know. If he's not, what do we do? In other words, the answer to those questions kind of determines how early I want to take a guy. Not that you can't get a stud in the later rounds. Obviously, Aaron Jones is a later round guy. A lot of the talented guys are later round guys. Maybe you just take swings after round five and hopefully you get lucky. But that's kind of my my heartburn right there is trying to answer that question. On one hand, I feel like we have an awesome group of running backs and we just need depth. On the other hand, I'm worried we don't have a number one. So anyways, Mr. Nick Brosette, running back out of LSU. Um, according to the write-up over at the draft network he is six foot tall 218 pounds so once again this is a green bay packers running back right 511 222 something like that he's he's a little bit too tall at six foot and not quite as heavy as they like but um yeah he's he's just he's just a bruiser man he's six foot 2 218 if you let me just read this first write up here by uh who wrote this one uh john ledyard Nick Borsett is one speed power back, best suited for gap power concepts in the run game, but capable of inside zone if called upon. He's not going to be an ideal feature back at the next level, but Brissett is capable of of manning a number two or three spot for a team. In a sense, that makes sense. But again, we're not really getting a guy that's going to be a receiver. We're getting another Jamal Williams. And I just feel like especially with the, you know, looking to be a little bit more versatile with guys like Lafleur, why are we not looking for that? And maybe we will just try to try to bring Jamal up or Aaron Jones up to be better in that facet of their game. But, and it you know, this doesn't mean this is who they're... It doesn't really mean anything. A lot of these meetings, maybe it's just trying to iron out who to put where on your board. But you're not going to meet with somebody that you're not going to draft. That doesn't make any sense. So you pull people off your board. Then you maybe decide, first of all, do I want him on my board? And if so, where do we put him? That's the point of these meetings. Watching him play a little bit... Um, I don't think he's as much of a plotter as maybe it sounded like in that write-up, not that necessarily that's what they were going for, but he's definitely not a receiver. He does a lot of pass blocking, seems to do a decent job with that, and, um, you know, I think he's relatively decisive. He's not going to be super agile. I don't know if he's going to test all that well, whether it's speed or agility drills, but he's serviceable. I I don't know that he's maybe somewhere in between Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones would be my thought on him. But anyways, that was another guy they met. The rest of the guys that they met at the East-West Shrine game are all defense, not super surprisingly. You know what? I just lied. Um, they met with, oh boy, let me give this one a shot, Ulissimeca Udo, guard out of Elon. I don't have this guy on my big board. I don't have him, and you got to understand, I've got several boards that have 500 plus people on there. I don't have this guy anywhere. Now I actually have heard his name. Because when you shorten it, it's Ali Udo, and I have heard that before. But I, I really don't have a whole lot to go on here. His name did come up quite a bit in the senior bowl, um, but I think he's also going to be a later kind of guy. And, and this is just the Packers doing their due diligence, right? As you get into those later rounds, this is something Ted Thompson stressed a lot. And I'm sure during the combine and stuff, uh, Gutekunst is going to spend a lot more time with the early round guys, something Ted didn't do a lot of. But you still have to do your due diligence, because when you get into the 5th, 6th, 7th round, you got decisions to make. And it's really hard to find quality players that you can bring on the team. It's something Ted did very well. If you want to be able to still be productive and not just be a team that can draft in the first three rounds and then just throw darts, this is kind of where you got to make your money. So this is a potential, you know, 6th, 7th round uh, lineman. we got to see what we can do with this. So anyways, again, don't have a ton on that. Now we can move over to defense. Uh, starting in the middle here, we've got uh, Daylon Mack, defensive tackle slash nose tackle, Texas A&M. This is one of the better prospects that they've met with that I've listed, Dalen Mack. I currently have it at uh, rank 170. Now, granted, we're still talking maybe sixth round, but uh, hey, we're in the 100s for one. But Mack, six feet tall, 320 pounds. It's something that the Packers haven't had for quite a while, something that I've kind of been missing, even though I know it's going by the wayside. But just that true run stuffer, you know, just just give me that six foot, 225, 220, whatever guy and see what he can do. Now, the real interesting thing about him You think about him as just a complete run-stuffer, which is what he has been, but in 2018, the man played 13 games for Texas A&M. He had 32 total tackles, 10 tackles for a loss, and and 5.5 sacks. Those are Ed Oliver's numbers. Now granted, Ed Oliver, you know, kind of wish he had better numbers than that. But for a 320-pound nose tackle to play for a major school like Texas A&M in the SEC to get 5.5 sacks, that's kind of crazy to me. Now, having watched him, I can tell you right now, I'm having a very similar experience that I had with Ronell Wren. Ronell Wren is like a second, third round, fourth round guy, whatever. I watched him and I said, I don't care what you guys think. This guy's a freak. I think Dalen Mack is is higher on my board than him because he's he's as powerful at the point. In other words, if you don't double team him, he's just going to blow the guy straight back. I'm serious. Go to NFL Big Board, Search Daylon Mack, D-A-Y-L-O-N. Just type in Day. It'll be the only one that pops up. Click Film. You can also go to News and Report and all that. But just watch the, the first one here. I'm watching Texas A&M versus Ole Miss. It's playing as I'm talking to you. This guy, again, I'm, I'm kind of a weird person when it comes to football. I'm getting chills, man. Oh, my goodness. Double team, he just split right between them, tackled the guy behind the line like it was nothing. You can't stop. He's just too big. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, sometimes I forget I'm doing a podcast. It's <laughs> just, holy cow, I like this guy a lot. If you don't do anything else today, please watch a little bit of Dalen Mack. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't care what round we get this guy in. If we get him similar to, uh, similar to Renell Wren, but I feel like this, I don't know, man. They're they're, they're similar. I just feel like this is more, like, I, I I don't know. I don't know. Just go watch him. Go watch him and Rennell Wren and just watch Dominance and just enjoy your day. Finally, we met with a couple different guys here. Uh, We'll start with the cornerback because the safeties is probably the only one that anyone's ever even heard of. So the cornerback out of Troy, Blaise Brown. Currently have him at 222 on my big board here. Now, he obviously didn't do himself a whole ton of favors in 2018. However, coming into 2018, uh, Lance Zerline uh, from the NFL Network or NFL whatever, NFL guy, he listed him as one of the 10 best defensive backs to keep an eye on in 2018. So maybe that has a little bit to do with the interview. You know, he's a real big name. Obviously, these guys that are doing scouting, are, they know a lot of names. They're not like me where they start after the next draft like, okay, what's the next crop? I mean, they're they keeping track of these guys coming out of the high school. So he was a big-name dude, 6'1", 184. So, you know, small school, but he's built like a, 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 a you know defensive back. Picked off 11 passes from 2016 to 2017. So something that uh, they wanted to keep an eye on, I guess. I did watch a little bit from him. Um, he, he definitely plays pretty far off the ball. He actually plays a little bit of safety, it appears. Doesn't seem afraid of contact, but just seems a little clumsy. Now, this is just very cursory. I watched two two games. It's not like I really broke this guy down over his career or anything. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of those things where it's if he's you know we're talking 7th round free undrafted free agent whatever something to keep an eye on again he I mean, you could you can see physically he's a big dude i mean he stands out i don't need the little circle or arrow or whatever to tell me where he is he's well i don't know you can tell the final guy that they had met with is uh Lucas Dennis got him currently at 108 on the big board so we're kind of getting into that third round territory at this point anyways um, he's definitely been higher up. He's been a consistent. At, at, at one point, he was maybe late first, early second conversation. But uh, as of my last update, he dropped 23 spots. So we're, we're talking out of the third round into the fourth round. Uh, this is another guy where there's some inconsistencies. If you look at his uh, 2017 stats, he had seven interceptions for 185 yards, um, 10 pass deflections. That was in 13 games. In 2018, he only played 10 games, but a drastic drop-off. Only one interception and only two pass deflections. So he goes from 7 picks to 1 pick, 10 pass deflections to 2 pass deflections. Now, maybe this has to do with a change of his assignment, that kind of stuff. I'm not really sure. You know, Maybe they moved him from free to strong safety. I don't really know the story there. But even at that, the guy's five 11, 185 pounds, so there's going to be some question about his upside, I would say, and uh, also going to, basically there's a lot of questions. And they, whenever there's a lot of questions, that's when it's kind of a good time to maybe have a sit down with one of these guys. So, I mean, I I like his speed. He definitely seems pretty quick. I mean, even uh, covering guys, you know, kind of running across the formation, sometimes it's kind of hard to follow these guys or, or little crossing routes or whatever the case may be. He seems to be able to to pick up the speed from from you know a dead stop to running full sprint and keeping up with guys. His tackling is abysmal though. He's a small guy, he doesn't have a lot of power. Even when he gets there he tries to go for his ankles and usually just he doesn't do anything. So, not my favorite prospect. I would be shocked if he turns into a star, but um I don't know. Maybe he has a chance if we're talking 3rd, 4th, 5th round something. Again, very cursory look, but that's just my overall opinion of him. I like his speed. I like his ability to cover I don't know what he's going to be able to do in terms of, of bringing people down. He he's at least has to work on that and demonstrate that he can and develop that part of his game. So anyways, that's about the end of it there. So uh, to recap, they've met with two different wide receivers, uh, which is good because I do think that's a pretty big need for the team. A couple defensive backs, a running back, uh, one offensive lineman. I, I don't necessarily think it has to do with need, but I also think if you have a need and you're planning on meeting somebody, these are the questions you're going to want to nail down. Right? They're They're not really going out of their way to meet with quarterbacks or anything, or centers, because they're probably not planning on drafting any. But anyway, you folks enjoy your Sunday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.